Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Legal One podcast. Today's presentation is preparing the comprehensive equity plan for the June 2022-2023 deadline. The deadline to submit the school district's comprehensive plan was extended to June 30th, 2023, if a district chose to do so, and many districts have. This episode will provide an overview of the information necessary to complete the comprehensive equity plan. A discussion of statutory and regulatory mandates will also provide you with examples of actions that demonstrate actionable options for a school district to successfully complete the comprehensive equity plan. I'm Mike Kelber, the Legal One Coordinator for Online Course Development, so welcome today. And with me is Sandra Jakes, the Legal One Supervisor of Legal Research and Content Development. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you, Michael. Always glad to be with you today. We will be going through an overview that I will take on terms of code and statute. Sandra has a terrific add-on of practical advice and practical things for you to do in preparing the comprehensive plan, and then we'll have a, a slurred dialogue at the end of this. So without further ado, here we go. As a disclaimer, please remember that this is a summary of law only. It's not meant as legal advice, notwithstanding the fact that Sandra and I are attorneys. We do not have an attorney-client relationship with you, so we're giving you information. The nice thing about this is we've, we've altered our disclaimer this year. If you want to use this material for training within your district or your place of employment, please feel free to do that, provided that you give proper credit to Legal One for having developed the materials and offer the turnkey training at no charge. So what we plan to talk about today within this process is the comprehensive equity plan. What is educational equity, the role of the board, and practical advice on completing the plan. So let's talk about what educational equity is. That's something that it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. What is equity? And equity means different things to different people in different contexts. However, in the school law area, the New Jersey Administrative Code at NJAC 6A colon 7-1.3 has actually a definition for educational equity. And that means a cohesive set of policies, programs and practices that assure high expectations, positive achievement patterns, and equal access to educational opportunity for all learners, including students and teachers. Equity as defined in the code, occurs when all groups of students, that's all groups of students, master the goals of the curriculum to approximately the same degree. Equity focuses on the student's access to knowledge, all set forth in administrative code. So what's the role of the Board of Education in all of this? We'll start there. The role of the board starts with annually adopting and implementing written educational equity policies, 
that recognize and value the diversity of persons and groups within society and promote the acceptance of persons of diverse backgrounds, regardless of race, creed, color, national origin, ancestry, age, marital status, affectional or sexual orientation, gender, religion, disability, or socioeconomic status. The, the policy should promote equal educational opportunity and foster through the policies and programs, the practices of the District Board of Ed, creating a learning environment that is free from all forms of prejudice, discrimination, and harassment based on any protected class status. That's really the goal, a learning environment that's free from all forms of prejudice, discrimination, and harassment. Equal educational opportunity within the context of all of this means the creation of these environments that enable the provision of a thorough and efficient education as defined by the New Jersey Student Learning Standards, differentiated instruction, formative assessments aligned to New Jersey Student Learning Standards, and high expectations for teaching and learning in a public school district. And when prejudice and other forms of discrimination have been eliminated in the school district's policies, practices, and curricula, and here's the key for me, as evidence to the narrowing of the achievement gap. It's always nice to know where you're heading and what your goal is. The goal here is narrowing of the achievement gap. When that occurs, we have achieved equal educational opportunity and all students and staff can enjoy equal access to all programs and benefits provided by or offered within the public schools of the school district. So as a former math teacher, one of the things I like, I like goals and objectives. And so you know where you're going. My favorite philosopher, Yogi Berra would say, be careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. You need to know where we're headed. We're headed to narrow the achievement gap. That's the goal. And that's the purpose of the policies in this area. So what else does the board have to do? I mean, this sounds pretty straightforward and self-evident, but the first thing is inform the school community of its educational equity policies. Let the students know, let the staff know, let the parents know, let the, all the members of the school community know of the equity policies for the district. And for purposes of this presentation, most importantly, once every three years, develop a comprehensive equity plan that will identify and correct all discriminatory and inequitable educational and hiring policies, patterns, programs, and practices affecting the facilities, programs, students, and staff. The three-year window for the equity plan, the last one was technically ending 2019 to 2022, June of 2022. There was legislation that allowed districts to extend that for a year in light of COVID and issues with COVID. So actually June of 2023, most districts are looking at concluding their comprehensive equity plan, which is why we are here today talking about it, just to give you some insight into what that's about. There was a Department of Education broadcast email back in March that talked about the extension. If you were looking for an extension as a district, you should have done that before June 30th of 2022. Hopefully that was granted. And by the at this point in time, the department is still reviewing the appropriate administrative code for consideration of amendments that might become effective in 2023, which could impact the elements of the comprehensive equity plan. As Late as today, uh, neither Sandra nor I are aware of any additions to the, the requirements of the Comprehensive Equity Plan. This is uh, November 18th, is that right? 
so we, uh, at this point in time, there are none, but as you proceed through this and head towards June 30th of 2023, you may very well see some changes. So you should be attuned to the Department of Ed website for that. So let's talk about the comprehensive equity plan. The plan also enables school districts and charter schools have to do this and Renaissance school projects have to do this to demonstrate compliance with all applicable laws, codes and regulations, including but limited federal laws like Title VI and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title IX of the Educational Amendments of 1972, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, the Equal Pay Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, and the IDEA, the Individual Disabilities Education Act. It also enables school districts to demonstrate compliance with state laws, such as the New Jersey Constitution, 18A 36-20, Equality and Educational Programs, uh, 10-5 of the statutes, the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, the New Jersey Equality and Equity Code at NJAC 6A-7, the History of the United States in New Jersey at 18A-35-1, and the Prohibition of Discrimination Statute at 18A-36-20. So prior to developing the plan, what's the first step? The board should assess the school district's needs for achieving equity and equality in educational programs. Do a needs assessment. You have to figure out how you're doing, where you're doing, where your gaps are, and what you need to improve. The purpose is, for this is to identify and eliminate discriminatory practices and other barriers to achieving equity in educational programs. There is a section within the comprehensive equity plan materials on suggested staff need assessment questions. And Sandra will be also talking about that in, her, in terms of her section later on. So what kind of assessment data do we need to look at? Student performance on a national assessment of educational progress, such as the, the, called the NAEP, that NAEP assessment and state assessment results should be reviewed. Preschool through grade 12 promotion, retention and completion data should be looked at. You should re-examine and reevaluate the classification and placement of students in special education programs if there's over-representation within certain groups, and sometimes there is. You should look at your staffing practices. You should look at student demographic and behavioral data, including student discipline. Are certain groups more likely to be disciplined than others? And the quality of program and stakeholder satisfaction data. All that should be a baseline for your, uh, your needs assessment as you put that together. Now, the equity plan is also going to address the affirmative action officer pursuant to NJAC 6A colon 7-1.5. It's going to look at professional development, look at equality in school and classroom practices, look at equality in employment and contract practices, come up with goals, objectives, timelines, and benchmarks for measuring progress. And the key here is that the affirmative action team, including the affirmative action officer, will be involved in developing overseeing the implementation and monitoring the implementation of the plan for not only now as it's developed, but the next three years. It should be on top of all of that. So let's talk about the affirmative action officer and team. The affirmative action officer is designated annually by the Board of Ed. The affirmative action officer is a member of the affirmative action team, also annually formed by the board, and the team coordinates and implements the requirements of NJAC 6A7, the Managing for Equality and Equity in Education Code. The board should assure that all stakeholders know who the affirmative action officer is and how to contact that person. Uh, the affirmative action officer has to have a New Jersey standard instructional 
administrative or educational services certificate. So any certificated person in the district can be the affirmative action officer. Now we at Legal One have a terrific affirmative action officer plan training program. I would call that to your attention if you are new to being an affirmative action officer or just want to re-up on that. It is a terrific plan. It gives you a lot of information that would be helpful in developing the, the comprehensive equity plan, but also just your day-to-day -day role as the affirmative action officer. Because your role there involves, for example, coordinating the required professional development training for certificated and non-certificated staff. You're, cha you're charged with notifying all students and employees of the district's grievance procedures for handling discrimination complaints and ensuring that the grievance procedures, including the investigative responsibilities and reporting information are all followed. Now the affirmative action team also has roles in this piece. They develop the comprehensive equity plan, which we're talking about today. They oversee the implementation of the plan and they collaborate with the affirmative action officer on the coordination of required professional development training for certificated and non-certificated staff. The team is also gonna monitor the implementation of the comprehensive equity plan. They're gonna conduct the annual school district internal monitoring audit to ensure compliance with state and federal statutes. And the team, the makeup of the team is a minimum of three individuals, one of whom is the affirmative action officer, and it should be comprised of diverse stakeholders. Now, some consideration could be for the athletic director, the guidance director, personnel director, or the anti-bullying anti specialist. The Department of Ed also encourages inviting members of the community, such as parents, to be part of the affirmative action team as well, but that's not required, but it is encouraged by the Department of Ed. So let's talk about some of the issues we mentioned that the team and the affirmative action officer are charged with following up on. One is professional development. In looking at the comprehensive equity plan, the board should annually on a continuing basis provide training to all staff on identifying, resolving issues related to the achievement gap. Remember, that's our, our ultimate goal, narrowing the achievement gap and other inequities arising from prejudice on the basis of protected class status. Professional development is provided to all staff, certificated and non-certificated. Sometimes the non-certificated people are left out of the training aspect because you know, maybe they're not looked at as someone who would be that important in doing professional development for the equity plan, but they are and they need to be included. You should invite parents and community members to be part of the professional development. New staff, board has to ensure that new staff receive professional development on educational equity issues in their first year of employment. So every year, new staff should be receiving training on educational equity. And the board should look at ways to integrate into professional development on other topics such as special ed, English language learners, code of conduct, suicide prevention, educator evaluation, et cetera, ways to build equity into those particular programs. The commissioner is charged under code to provide technical assistance to districts for the development of policy guidelines, procedures, and to provide in-service training for affirmative action officers to aid in elimination of prejudice on the basis of protected class status. Again, I'm going to put a little commercial in here for the Legal One program uh, for affirmative action officer training because I think it's uh, an excellent program. And if you're involved in that section of development here, you should, should be looking into that training as well. Equality in classroom practices. The board is required to provide students with equal and bias-free access to all school facilities, courses, programs, activities, and services, regardless of protected class status. 
The first part is to ensure equal and barrier-free access to all school and classroom facilities. We do a pretty good job of that. We pretty much ADA compliant in all, all our school districts. The second point here is one that's been in the code for a long time, but really uh, there are some districts that maybe aren't quite on top of this as much as they should be. The code requires that, that you should be attaining within each school minority representation that approximates the school district's overall minority representation. That exact apportionment's not required, but you should have a reasonable plan that achieves the greatest degree of racial balance that is feasible and consistent with sound educational values and procedures. So now, depending on what your community is, I mean, you're, you're a homogeneous community and you're all white, all black, all Hispanic, all Asian, your schools all look the same because your student body is all the same. So the proportional representation in your buildings, that's not really a heavy lift for you. If you live in a more diverse community as where I live and you have various racial and ethnic groups, you start to look at what you may have, particularly at the elementary level, where you may have the neighborhood school concept, your different neighborhood schools may not have this minority representation balance. Now your middle schools, your high schools, you generally bring kids together from all communities. So those are not usually an issue, but you really need to take a look at your elementary schools in some instances where, you know, some may be all Asian and some may be all white and some may all be black, depending on the neighborhoods that are there or a majority of those ethnic groups. So take a look at that structure. That's something you should be looking at in your comprehensive equity plan. Should also be looking at multiple and bias-free methods for identification of special needs students, including English language learners. The ELL piece is something that you're likely to have if every school district is looking at that right now, because every school district is getting a more and more diverse population with more and more diverse languages than ever before. Whether it's you know bringing in Ukrainian immigrants or migrants who have come across the border or Afghanistan people who have relocated or just the normal flow of new people into your communities. Language issues is across, across the board for everybody right now. You should be ensuring support services, intervention and referral services and health services, making sure they are available to all students and there's no discrimination based on any medical conditions. And ensure that the district's curriculum and instruction are aligned to the student learning standards. Again, address the elimination of discrimination by narrowing the achievement gap and providing equity in educational programs. We know, as we've talked about this, that that's the ultimate goal. So you wanna structure your program to move towards that goal of narrowing the achievement gap. The one area with respect to courses, separate developmentally appropriate male and female classes in human sexuality are permitted, but other than that, there should be no um, separation based on protected class status. One of the requirements in the code is that you should be looking to reduce or prevent the underrepresentation of minority female and male students in all classes and programs, including gifted and talented, accelerated and advanced classes. We've seen a number of school districts that have gotten into trouble with the Office of Civil Rights at the federal level because they didn't do that. They didn't have sufficient number of minority students in their entry-level programs like gifted and talented at the elementary level or honors math or, or science. And then when they got to the middle school or high school level, their accelerated and advanced classes were underpopulated with minority female or male students. So it's very important to take a look at that. 
should also be ensuring a multicultural curriculum. Sandra's going to talk about a lot, a number of the new curriculum pieces that you need is important to look at in your comprehensive plan to make sure that you are implementing them and ensure that students have access to adequate and appropriate counseling services and that those counseling services should not be doing anything to limit choices for students and should helping to direct or direct them into specific work areas or vocations based on protected class status. In the phys ed and athletic area, you should be sure that your programs are equitable, co-educational, and you're not discriminating on the basis of protected class status. There should be comparable gender separate restrooms, locker rooms, and shower facilities so that you know whatever the boys teams have, the girls teams have, it should be similar along those lines. You may operate separate boys and girls teams in one or more sports or single teams, as long as the program provides equal opportunities. And when we talk about equal opportunities in athletic programs, that includes salaries, maintenance of equipment, quality and availability of facilities, scheduling practice and game time, length of season and other related areas or matters. As the father of a girl athlete growing up, who is now a teacher and played college softball among other things, I will tell you is that when we went through the process throughout, the girls didn't get as good a shake as the boys. It's better now than what it used to be, but it's still something you need to take a look at. In employment and contract practices, make sure you're ensuring equal and bias-free access to all categories of employment, to all persons, regardless of protected class status. Don't contract with vendors that discriminate on the basis of protected class status, not that you would anyway. And there should be no assignment, transfer, promotion, or retaining of staff, or failure to assign, transfer, promote, or retain staff on the basis of protected class status. We should be ensuring equal pay for equal work as well. Some recommendations there, use equitable hiring practices that correct and balance in isolation based on protected class status among the district, certificated and non-certificated staff, and with every category of employment. We should target recruiting practices, for underrepresented populations in every category of employment and ensure that the employment applications and pre-employment inquiries conform with the guidelines of the New Jersey Division of Civil Rights. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Sandra to talk about completing the comprehensive equity plan. So Michael did a great job of setting up why you have to do the comprehensive equity plan and the basic overview of what's covered in it. I will tell you the way to find the forms that you're gonna to have to fill out is to Google NJDOE Comprehensive Equity Plan. It'll take you right to the spot on the website. And then you will see blue highlighted uh, lines that allow you to click on it and go to the actual forms that you're going to use and need to complete what you're doing here. So the first one will be getting your affirmative action team together. And this is important. You wanna draw from all parts of the school. Uh, you want to have someone from the athletic department, someone from other, other activities, you know, like the music department or the drama area or something like that. Definitely someone from the special ed department. If you are a large district, you probably want to get some, even a small district, you want to get someone from each building that you have that can contribute. And then they can also be your point person for gathering data from these other buildings to put together this entire comprehensive equity plan. The thing to know is, is that whoever is on the team is going to have to sign off. Their name is going to be there, and then they have to sign off and identify where they are in the school. So names are actually attached to this. And the other thing to keep in mind is that we work our way through it. This is a public document. Anyone that knows that it exists can ask to see it. 
I'm an adjunct for Ramapo and NJCU. And whenever I get to this portion of my class with my students, I tell them to go check out their own comprehensive equity plan. So they go to their administrators and the, most of the time the administrators say, I have no clue as to what you're talking about, which is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, it should be more than the affirmative action officer that knows what's going on with this. And you definitely want to find the one that was done beforehand. And hopefully your predecessor did a good job. So you're not starting from scratch on dealing with this. So after you have your team together, then you're going to see there, there are a number of grids and I'm going to get into the specifics of, of what is in every box of the grid, but you will basically have to answer two questions when you're completing this. So it'll give the topic of the area that it's looking at. Then there's a box for, did you do it or did you not? This is a yes or no answer. If the answer is yes, in the next box, you're gonna to have to provide proof that you did it. So all the policy numbers, dates you might've had PD about it, changes in your program that you might've implemented, you have to prove it. It's, your word is not good enough. And from a legal perspective, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen, the same holds true here. If you have not completed whatever is asked for in the box, then you will have to either put not completed, but is scheduled for. So maybe you have the PD scheduled for next month. You can put that in there. But if you have nothing planned yet, what you're going to have to do is check the no box and then say, will be completed by, and you're going to have to attach a date that you think you can have this done by, and someone has to take personal responsibility for this. So a name is going to go after the will be done by type of thing. So it's a very, very serious thing. Uh, the, the will be done by ones and the it's not yet, but it's planned is on a separate form called Appendix C. I beg of you, I can't beg hard enough on this, start it early. It is now November at the time of this recording. If you haven't started it already, start it now. This is an exceedingly time-consuming process. You cannot do this in two days. You cannot do it properly in two weeks. And you have to remember, it also has to be board approved before it's submitted to the executive county superintendent. So you wanna be able to get this on the April agenda so that it can be approved or if for some reason it's not approved, you have a month to get the stuff done to fix it, to have it approved in time for submission. Now there is the fail safe, if it's not approved in time for submission, you can submit uh, uh, what you have and say it's pending board approval. And then you have to follow up again with whatever the board approval is whenever you get it. But I, I can't beg enough, start it early. The other good thing about getting it done early is that if you're deficient in some areas, you have time to change those no's to yeses. So if you have the baseline completed by say February or even March, you have April and May to get PD done or to change something or to add something so that it's less of the no column there and more of the yes, here's what we did. So please do take advantage of this. I will also say for those of you that are the front of action officer and you're listening to this, once you get this year's done, the one that's due June of 2023, I would suggest updating it semi-annually. Update it once in December and once in the summer or the end of the school year. That way, when you have to do this again for 2026, you're not starting from scratch and you don't have to go hunt for what was done. You've kept it updated as you've moved along. So it should be a much easier process to complete. So I've been talking about how in-depth and how much work you're going to have to do. 
there are four different areas that will be covered in completing the comprehensive equity plan. The first is board responsibility, and I will let you in on the topics that each topic I'm going to read has its own box that you have to do that yes or no answer for. So the first section comes under equality and equity practices. For school and classroom practices, you have to show that you have uh, done things regarding prejudice and discrimination, equal access, equal treatment for pregnant or married students, prohibiting or eliminating HIV and sexual harassment. Then we get to equality and employment and contract practices, the appointment of the qualified AAO, and coordination with the Section 504 and the Title IX coordinators. Authorize the AAO to complete and implement the CEP. So this is what I was talking about. It has to be on the board agenda for approval. Uh, best practices before the submission date. You have to provide staff development to ensure equity, collect and analyze annual yearly progress or target reports for underperforming subgroups. And this can include segregation, suspension, expulsion, special ed placement, avoidance of under or overrepresentation in various areas. So there's more for the board where you have to adopt the comprehensive equity plan. You have to inform the school community of your policies define responsibilities of the affirmative action officer, the section 504 officer, and the Title IX coordinator, provide the name and contact info of the AAO, and publicize the location of the district's comprehensive equity plan. Remember, I told you, this is something that's a public document, so anyone can see it. And thinking forward, if unfortunately your district gets sued for discrimination, this plan can be a sword or a shield for you. If you have a lot of no's checked off on this, the, the plaintiff's attorney that's reading this is smiling because you've already given them ammunition that your school didn't do a plethora of things that should have been done or should have been being worked on. So it puts more ammunition for the attorney to come after the district for a discrimination claim. On the other hand, if you have a whole bunch of stuff that you've already done, working plans, everything is set, it's an ongoing, you're constantly updating it, improving it, that helps the defense side of the things if you end up getting sued. So to continue on with the board responsibility, report on progress made in meeting targets, and then authorizing the affirmative action officer to conduct yearly equity training for all staff. They can do it for themselves. I do a lot of these trainings. It's whatever works for your budget. Sometimes the school attorneys will do this training. For county and voc tech schools, they have to be able to show that they admit students on a board of ed approved procedure and policy, which ensures equity in enrollment. So you can learn a whole bunch of things from just, just doing the board of ed portion with historical trends that are present in closing equity gaps. How are your demographics changing? Um, you know, this is a constantly, as Michael mentioned, with um, the immigration coming in and various other shifts and who the student population is. This will help you keep track of what's going on. In what ways are your current board policies supporting the effort to promote equity for everyone? How effective have the policies been in closing equity gaps? What new or revised policies should be considered? All policies being implemented at all levels. You can have a fail-safe check on that to make sure it's happening. And what can the board do to promote engagement of all stakeholders, including staff, students, parents, and the community? So then we move on to the staff portion. It's titled Staff Development and Training. So you're gonna to have to check those yes or no boxes for does the district provide staff development open to parents and or community members? I can tell you, I've been doing a lot of trainings lately where I go in in the evenings 
or virtually, and I talk to parent groups. The most popular one is that I provide HIB training so that they understand what the HIB law is and is not. And it takes away some of the hostile feelings towards the school when they do something the parent doesn't like. It goes on to say that you have to show training for all certificated administrative and professional staff and for all non-certified. That's the non-professional staff, your custodians, your lunch ladies, um, your, your bus aides, people along those lines. Then we move to part three. And this is, I think, the biggest portion of the comprehensive plan that you have to show you've done stuff for. Number one is equality and equity in curriculum and showing that the curriculum and instruction align with the state's core curriculum content standards. So you're looking to see, does it eliminate discrimination? And you're gonna look specifically at school climate, culture, and a safe learning environment. Then you go to school and classroom practices for equality and equity in the curriculum. So you're gonna to look to see, does it eliminate discrimination? You're looking at the school climate, the culture, or the safe learning environment. Courses of study, including phys ed, the library and instructional materials, technology, software, and audiovisual materials, guidance, counseling for HIBs, sexual harassment and grievances, extracurriculum programs and activities, tests and other assessments, and does your curriculum prevent or reduce underrepresentation of students in class programs? You're gonna to have to verify that you have a multicultural program. And specifically, they ask for your information on the instruction you're giving for the African-American history. This would be the Amistad, the Holocaust. And this is where I think there'll be some revisions to the 2023. We've had a number of laws that have passed in the last few years requiring other things in your curriculum. So I expect to see boxes on Asian Pacific Islander, Asian Americans, LGBTQ, disabled, DEI legal requirements, and those types of additions to your curriculum that have been added since 2019. But wait, there's more for the school and classroom practices. Then we go to equality and equity in student access. Can you ensure equal barrier-free access to all school and classroom facilities, attain minority representation of students within each school, refrain from locating new facilities in areas that will contribute to imbalanced, isolated, or racially identifiable school enrollments, Ensure that the students are not separated by protected class, immigration, housing, and or socioeconomics. And you're going to be looking at, do you ensure equal representation in gifted and talented programs? Do you ensure that minority male students are not disproportionately represented in detentions? Is there equal access to computers and technology? Do the English language learners have equal bias-free access to all programs and activities? Does your district ensure registration procedures comply with state and federal law? When I do trainings in district, a lot of times for the secretaries or the clerks, they don't realize that they have no right to know the legal status of someone enrolling in school, nor can they demand a birth certificate or a social security card. So are your registration procedures proper and following the law? Furthermore, you have to look to see if your district utilizes a state approved language proficiency assessment to determine proficiency of ELLs, utilize bias-free measures to determine special ed students, ensure that support services are available to all students, including the ELLs, and ensure that all pregnant students have access to school district activities, programs, and education. Furthermore, you have to look into equity and equality in guidance programs and services, ensuring that your guidance program provides access to all counseling services, presentation of a full range of possible occupational, professional, and career tech education choices, guidance counselors use bias-free materials, Title IX gender considerations, 
a lot of places are taking out he, she programs and just making it the generic, the students or somewhere, something along that line to avoid any issues with that. And that all activities are equitable and are co-educational. Then we look at the athletic program. So your athletic director is gonna have a lot of stuff to do on their own. You have to ensure that the athletic program provides relatively equal numbers of varsity, sub-varsity teams for male and female students, equitable scheduling of games, practice times and locations. As an example, there was a discrimination case brought where the girls played in the fall and the boys played in the spring. And what happened is, is that in the fall was really nasty weather. So the girls always got the worst weather to play in. And they said, that's not fair. The boys get the nice spring weather. We get the rotten, miserable fall weather. We should have an equal time of playing, whether it means rotating who plays which season or putting us both in the spring or putting us both in the fall. Looking at equitable treatment of staff salaries, purchase and maintenance of equipment, and comparable facilities for male and female teams. When I was in high school, the boys' baseball team was kept pristine. No one else could step on it. No one could use it. They had it lined. It was properly done. I played varsity softball. We had to, a lot of times, dig out and brush out the water from when there had been a rainfall the night before or that day. We had to, sometimes we used car mats for our bases. The baseball team never had to do that. Things along those lines. Is it fair and is it, is it equitable? So going through that process, you'll learn about trends to review athletic participation, your coursework, academic performance, curriculum compliance, HIV, discipline, special ed, and demographic changes. Then we go to the fourth and last part of this comprehensive equity plan, which involves employment and contract practices. So this is your business administrator's office. Can you show equal and bias-free access to all categories of employment, including equitable hiring practices, targeting recruitment practices for underrepresented populations in every category of employment, ensure that employment applications and pre-employment inquiries confirm to the guidelines of the New Jersey Division of Civil Rights, monitoring programs and transfers to ensure non-discrimination, ensure equal pay for equal work, regardless of protected class status or socioeconomic status, ensure the district does not enter into or maintain contracts with persons, agencies, or organizations that discriminate, and provide equality in employment and contract practices. So from the business end of things, you'll learn about the trends, the demographics, how closely your staffing mirrors your student population, what can you do to enhance recruitment efforts, how well do your current procedures ensure fair and equitable hiring in the process, and what revisions should you be making in light of the Equal Pay Act or any other recent developments. So I read all of the subtopics so you can see why I'm begging you. You have to start this as early as possible because there's a lot of information. It's not something you can do quickly and you're gonna need a lot of people to help you gather the information. So overall, you can get the benefits of real progress in the issues of equity, which will benefit all students, staff and the entire community. For individual students, this can help change their lives if you give them access. And one of those, if you can see it, you can be it kind of things and working to strive to improve that. Critical, I don't like this phrase, but it's a very common one, critical uh, breaking of the school to prison pipeline so that kids see that they have opportunities, they feel more comfortable in doing what they need to do, and the staff is comfortable in it as well. And then there, you have to show real commit to inspire others over time. So don't work alone. You can't do this alone if you're going to do it right. Frame the review in a positive light as opposed to, look, we're deficient in all of this stuff. It becomes more of, look what we can do to make things better. 
look at the impact, not just the outcomes and not just the intent, celebrate successes. Um, you're going to provide a safe environment for all conversations and you want to review your progress regularly and view aspects of the district through an equity lens. I will say that we are going to do a full day training and go through preparing the comprehensive equity plan on February 9th. This will be a virtual training from nine to three in the morning. Rebecca Gold and I will be doing that training. Our calendar as of the date of this recording is not published yet. I expect that to occur sometime in December. So once the spring calendar is up, look for February 9th and you can register where we'll walk you step-by-step step through the process and even give you some practice in doing it. I will add too, if you're the first time, you're the, this is the first time you're doing it, you're starting from scratch. I have prepared a list of questions that you can provide to staff where you can modify it, you can change it. It's more of a, here's a place to start rather than going, oh my God, how do I do this? So if you're interested in that, you can email me. My email address is S as in Sandra, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S at njpsa.org. If you need the spelling of my name again, you can just look to the title of the podcast. My name is in there. So it's sjakes at njpsa.org. I thank you for joining us today. And as always, I'll let Michael have his final comments, but thank you for being here. And hopefully this was beneficial to you. Sandra, that was absolutely terrific. My sense is you look at this and it's CUSAC-like in its approach. And I say that CUSAC being the quality single accountability curriculum a continuum for monitoring school districts in that it causes you to take a look inward to your district and see what's going on. Not unlike you're going to plan to sell your house. And so now you have to clean it up and get it in good shape to show it. And you start to look around, you see that, well, maybe this, these walls need to be painted and we've lived it for 15 years, but you know, it could be better or the banister's broken, or maybe these, these blinds need to be looked at. It, it causes you to take a look more closely at what it is you do, how you do it, and to hopefully come up with ways in which you can make it better. And ultimately, we're looking at the goal of having educational equity within the district and, of course, the goal of narrowing the achievement gap. Sandra, any last words before we, we sign off? No, I think we've covered a lot in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So and I if would you, suggest if you want more information, as I said, um, you can take our program on February 9th to get, get a little more in-depth about this, and you can always contact us as well. I gave you my email address. Michael's is his first initial and last name as well, M-K-A-E-L-B-E-R at njpsa.org. Again, you can get the spelling of his name from the title of the podcast as well. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for being a part of today's podcast. We look forward to speaking with you and having you attend future podcasts in the Legal One programming. Thank you very much and have a great night. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.